Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Vegas this upcoming weekend for UFC Vegas 10, Michelle Waterson versus Angela Hill. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our main fights on that card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you, as the title suggests, an underdog and a parlay that we think you should get in on. In addition to that, we've got fighter interviews for you guys, as always. First, I'll be talking to Mike Rodriguez as he gets ready for his bout with Ed Herman. He talks about fighting a legend and another legend he'd like to fight in the near future as well. Then I'm talking to Anthony Ivey as he gets ready for his second effort in the UFC. And then finally, I'll be talking to a contender series combatant in Dennis Paiva, who's from the Northeast. He's been fighting for a really long time, and he's got some great stories for us. So make sure you check out all that great content, and it starts right now. All right, and joining me now is Mike Rodriguez, who fights Ed Herman at UFC Vegas 10, Watterson versus Hill. Uh, Mike, I, I want to talk to you about the fact that you waited out eight months after your loss to Daung Jung. Now you're getting a fight 21 days after your last fight. Are, are you just beside yourself with happiness that this is happening so quick? Yep, super pumped. <laughs> And is this this something that you want to do regularly, or is this something that, that just happened to pop into your lap? Is this a, a new norm for you? Would you turn around three weeks every single time if you're healthy? Yeah, if I'm healthy, run it. Why not? I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that mentality. Now, I am curious, yeah. too, because like you said, you're beside yourself happy here that, that they're letting you fight in 21 days after your last fight. What was sort of your reaction after you uh, after you heard the name Ed Herman being the the person you're gonna fight? I was I was I was shocked. I was like, oh, so my um, after I beat Marcin, all my coaches, uh, Joe, Mays, uh, Jake, and even my my manager Tyson, they all were saying to me, be ready because you're gonna get a quick turnaround. You're gonna get a quick turnaround. You're gonna get a quick turnaround. I said, all right, like, whatever, I'll be ready. Um, went camping with, with the family, came back from camping, started getting back in the groove of training again, um, working on some other stuff. And then he, um, Tyson was like, hey, he called him. He goes, hey, remember when I told you about being ready? I go, yeah. He go, you want to fight Ed Herman in two weeks <laughs> next week? I said, run it. And he was like, got it. And then he got the contract, sent it in. Ed Herman took the fight too. It was great. I was like, whoa. It also was funny is that I was a sophomore in high school when he won his, when he fought Kendall Grove for his contract. Man, that, and, 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 yeah, <laughs> and I was looking at your, your record too. You were also, you know, just to throw it a step further than that, you were also 13 years old when he made his MMA debut. What, what is that like yeah. in your head when you're thinking about fighting? You know, a, he's a legend. Yeah, he is. It's wild, man. It's it's wild. Um, I just thought I just think it's sick. Like I, I think it's cool that um, a lot of us, like guys like myself, that are coming up, we're all starting to fight against like our heroes. I think it's pretty cool. Or guys that we like looked up and watched. I, I think it's really sick, honestly. And, and did you watch MMA growing up? I, I'm curious because sometimes people fall into the sport late or, or didn't necessarily. No, yeah. So 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 last night, me and my buddy were talking about my buddy Harley because him and I came home from school that day and we're like, we're gonna watch the finale because he's a Ed he was an Ed Herman fan. He was like, that's my guy because we watched the Ultimate Fighter that season together. And I was like, nah, Kendall Grove's gonna crush him. And we watched. We literally sat in the living room in, in my mom's living room and watched that fight. That that's awesome. Now I'm curious too. Your your buddy's a big big Ed Herman fan. He's still a big Ed Herman fan. How does he dealing with that? <laughs> no, no. He's like, no, I want you to crush him next Saturday. <laughs> Last night we were talking about. It. He's like, oh yeah, I want you to crush him for sure. It was like he, I was a fan, but he's fighting my boy. Hell no, crush him. I was like, all right. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's awesome that, that you are getting to do that. I, I'm curious, you know, the, the division has a few of those guys, too. You know, has, has a few of those guys who are still legends. Is that something that you want to do, too? Or you want to you want to rise up through sort of like the names like Shogun and, and Ed Herman and, and folks like that? The, I, so, like, typically, like, I, I don't 
I don't want to say call anybody out, but the one person I would love, I would be honored to fight is Shogun. Because if it was for him, I would never got into the sport. He was the first, his fight was the first MMA fight I've ever seen. And like, you know, I'm, I'm a super geek. So when I see something, I'm like, I geek out about it. And I try to figure out that particular thing or person to get into whatever the sport or whatever the, the thing is. So when I seen him fight Little Nog back in 05, back when uh, in Pride, and I was like, this is amazing. What is this? I need to be part of it. So I like, you know, I dug down a rabbit hole, researched him, whatever. And he was, he was always my favorite fighter. So it would be cool to fight him. That would be sick. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, let's talk about this fight coming up again a little bit more, too, because I'm curious as to your preparation on this, because obviously, you know, you get full training camps most times going into a fight. Sometimes you got to take a short notice fight. This is a a different kind of short notice fight, because not only is it short notice, but also, you know, like you said, you were camping the week before. You you weren't necessarily in training camp. What is the preparation for this felt like in comparison to the preparation for other fights? Uh, The thing about this is to like, so... um, I, I typically always feel good after my fights. Like, I, I still feel, like, sharp and still ready to fight. Usually, I'm, like, crushing in the gym during this time, too. So, um, I just, we just took that and we, like, edit a little bit of things. Not so much, but just, like, a little bit of things. Things to, like, be cautious of, things like that. Like, try to pick up on his habits, things of those nature. But other than that, we um, try to keep everything the same. Um and then just tried to bring the weight back down. That's it. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that too. You know, obviously, uh, you know, weight cut just three weeks after a weight cut is a difficult one sometimes. How does the weight feel? Do you feel like you're in a good spot for it? Yeah, yeah, I feel good. This is I'm in the same spot that I was when I fought Marcin. Awesome. My weight's fine, yeah. Awesome. That's excellent news. Now, I did want to ask you a question. This is a little bit off topic here, but I'm curious as to where you get the nickname Slow, because I'm a guy who really enjoys hearing a good uh, nickname story. And and you're not slow. You're a guy who throws flying knee knockouts. You you know, the the elbows come crazy out of the clinch last time and you get a knockout that way. Where'd you get the nickname Slow? So back when I first got to Joe's gym, uh, Joe Lozon's gym, I was training. Muay Thai is my primary background like that's what i've done i've done it since i was 16 17 and um so in muay thai you know everything's just so powerful because everything comes from the hip and i i i met my boxing coach he's like come on like let's hit mitts whatever and i'm like all right and i finally got there and joe <laughs> joe and Mays is watching me hit mitts they're like holy shit you are so slow like molasses <laughs> slow that was like we need to change that fast so, like, the first, like, year and a half, I was just doing boxing mitts, boxing mitts, boxing mitts, just to get that speed, just to get that finesse, that boxing finesse. And, uh, yeah, and it just stuck. So I went from big Mike to slow Mike <laughs> in a matter <laughs> of a year and a half. Uh, but, I, yeah. I like that story. Now, you, you said in there, too, that you, you started Muay Thai. That was, like, your, your base at, like, 16 years old. Was was that after seeing the Shogun fight, you, you instantly found, like, a Muay Thai gym nearby? So I, I got into a fight in high school, and I knocked this kid out in high school. A teacher of mine, Alex Costa, he uh, he, he fought he fought pro, but I think more in, in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, the, he was the IT guy in our school. He grabbed me, pulled me to the side. I was like, listen, you're going to be suspended, but I want to show you. I'm going to introduce something to you that I think will help you because you have – some talent and i'm like what the hell is he talking about so he gave me these pride dvds and he showed me all these pride dvds He's like see blah 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 i was like all right so i was suspended i watched all of them and that's how i saw the shogun fight and um from there he said to me he's like hey you want to um he's like one day after school i'll pick you up and show you something so he picked me up and he showed he dropped me up he showed me this muay thai gym which was literally like right down the street from my house and I was like, this is amazing. So, and then I just fell in love with it. I was like skipping school to go there and everything. It was bad. Yeah. I was trying to get there any way possible. But yeah, that, that's how it all that's how it all started. That's that's interesting as hell. And, and out of curiosity, do you still have contact with that guy who, who basically, you know, like shoved you into MMA face first? No, 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 no. Last time I, the last time I spoke to him was like, I would want to say two years ago. 
two or three years ago, I went to go visit the high school and, and I, um, I seen him and we were like talking a bit and stuff. And that was like right when I won my contender series fight. And I seen him. He was so happy. He had this big grin. He's like, you don't understand how happy I am. Like, this is amazing. You know? So, yeah, I, I, when the school year starts back up, I'll, I definitely want to go check him out. Awesome. That, that's very cool. Now, I'm going to return it to the fight here for one last question. So, you're fighting, like a guy you said here, you're fighting a guy in Ed Herman who's, you know, a legend of the sport. How do you see this fight going down when it takes place Saturday? I think I think it's going to be uh, a long fight. I, I think it's going to be a decision fight. I don't think it's – because Ed Herman is so durable, and I don't think he – he's not one of those guys you can blow out of the water. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, I don't know any any guy that ever fought him. It was like – he's only been finished, like, in the first round a couple of times. And uh, so it's it's going to be tough. So, yeah, I see it definitely being a decision. So I'm just going to just poke away at his armor. To, to get him out of there. Hopefully, I could get the finish. But if it is a finish, it'll be late. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is slow Mike Rodriguez, who fights Ed Herman at UFC Vegas 10. Mike, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that interview with Mike Rodriguez is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, boxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it does not matter. Maroon Social will do all they can to help you reach your goals by helping you log your training sessions, tag the different techniques that you've been working on, log your competitions and weigh-ins, and so much more. Check out all the awesome features that will help you reach your goals at Maroon Social wherever you download apps. All right, and joining me now is Anthony Ivey, who fights Brian Barbarena at UFC Vegas 10, Watterson versus Hill. Anthony, I want to start by talking about your UFC debut because obviously you take that fight on extremely short notice. You only knew for about a week that you'd even be fighting in the UFC. How, how do you wrap your head around that whole experience that, that was a pretty unconventional debut? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was everything was just shocking, you know, just, uh, just, uh, just getting the call alone saying that you're going to be fighting in the UFC was, was, was a shocking guy because like I said before, I, I didn't I didn't know I was gonna be fighting to the UFC until next year sometime because of the whole COVID. Like nobody was active here because well, I stay here in Texas. And nobody wasn't active for like months, 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 months in time. So we anybody nobody's gonna think us. Uh, anybody we wasn't thinking that anybody's gonna do anything for as far as like you know competing in, in tournaments or fighting or even the the local local uh, uh, cages that we were gonna be fighting in. Nobody thinks it's gonna do anything. So just to get the fact that the car to get into the UFC was very, very surprising. It was like, oh, it was like you know, you get that quick adrenaline rush. Like, okay, we we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. So it was it was it was it was, it was amazing. Dude. It was amazing. <laughs> well, it certainly sounds amazing. Now I do have to ask too, though. You know, you said everything seemed shut down. You weren't really preparing for anything. None of your teammates were really preparing for anything. Did you feel like there was like no training camp? Do you feel like you were without sort of any real preparation for that moment? Yes, I, I, about 50% of that was, it was, yeah, we, we, we wasn't prepping for anything, man. It was more just, just, you know, just to keep in shape as best as we, we possibly can. Cause I was training in garages as best as, you know, training with some teammates in the garages in the best way I possibly can. Uh, it went from me training three, four hours out of the day to maybe 45 minutes to a, uh, to an hour. So, and then when we, when we was trying to get prepared for that little few days that we had, it was hard to get teammates to to come in because you know they they they're uh, everybody's you know worried about the worried about the COVID, so it's, it's every right not to not to get around uh, not to get around or involved and all that. So it was it was a little difficult, man. But we, we you know we we tried our best. <laughs> and, and now you you got a little bit more of a full camp, right? Like you knew a little bit more ahead of time here for this fight with Barbarena. How, how do you feel like that's changed? It and what does the camp look like for this one? Oh, it was this. This camp has been amazing. I mean, I think as soon as after after I left Vegas, two days after we went, I went straight back into training because I I I, I had some feeling that no, nah, I'm gonna get another call. I'm gonna get another call, and, and I can never actually prove myself this this next come around. So as soon as we got back in Vegas, you know, we just I started hitting it hitting it again. I started hitting it hard. You know, going back to my four or five hour sessions a a, a day. You know, we split it up throughout the day, but I was actually getting back in my training like I normally do. And now, and now I got all my teammates back, so everybody's been been pretty pretty consistent with this one coming around. So 
So the physical and mental part is it's all there. So it's this this chemistry is really good. So I can actually go perform like I was doing before before I fought uh, um, Christian. And, and now I'm curious too because you you said you got the call, you know, and you you knew you were gonna get the call. But but that call came for Brian Barberena, a, a veteran who has fought Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, Vicente Luque. Like he has fought like a who's who name of the UFC. What what were your thoughts when they called you and gave you that name? Uh, I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is okay, cool. You know, if if anybody that's this is this is it's just wonderful. You know, it's not it's not as shocking like oh we got we got to be you know uh, scared or worried or anything. Just one of those things like okay, this is if this is gonna be my opportunity, this is the one I have to take, you know. And I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a game fighter, man. I'll, I'll they they give me anybody, I'll, I'll I'll go fight them. This is the whole point why we're here. This is why we're in these high levels fighting in the UFC and everything to take opportunities like this. So to me, it's just 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 another opportunity to go out there and prove myself. So this, that's what that's my plan. And, and you you know you said your game, you, you'll fight just about anybody. He he's kind of that game opponent too, who not only fights everybody, but it's sort of notoriously hard to finish. Do you like that style matchup? Do you like the fact that he is a guy that that is you know not often finished, and, and you have a chance here to make your name finishing him? Uh, yeah, that that could be yes, that that would be amazing. That'd be amazing. That I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, most guys that I fought before they fought me, they they have they haven't been finished. Uh, they 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 came close. They came some some of the guys that I, that I fought have never been have never been finished or definitely an undefeated record. So it's always it's always to go out there and 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 go to go prove people wrong about that. So yeah, man, this is it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be very interesting. It's gonna be a push, though. I tell you that much. For 15 minutes, it's, we're gonna go hard. Well, we're looking forward to that. Now, I did want to ask you a couple other questions here, not so much about the fight, but I know you know you said you were having a tough time finding training partners. I know you have a twin brother who is also a fighter too, and I'm curious, how how did you guys both wind up in the sport together at the same time? Uh, that that. So I'm gonna try to make this story very short. Uh, so uh, I'll say back in I don't know 2000, uh, 2010, 2012. Uh, my twin brother he was already fighting. He was already fighting for about three to four years, and I was doing my little background in, in at Taekwondo. I mean not Taekwondo, sorry, Kuksa One back over here back in uh, off of Wasm Road. So I was over doing that for a little bit of a while, and then he brought me into the into the fight game. So when he brought me into it, I didn't think nothing of it. You know, I was doing it once again, just to, you know, I was, the main thing with my focus was to do jujitsu. It's like, okay, you know, I know some little stand up, now I want to learn the ground. So as soon as I started learning the ground, like literally three, four months, three, four months into training, like Dimitri, uh, my, uh, our, our coach told us, like, hey, man, you, you want to fight? We have a, we can possibly get you a fight. He's pretty your son. So I was like, all right, well, fine. And at that time, years ago, I was fighting at one, one, uh, 155. So I, I took the fight and, you know, went out there and I, I fought against uh, Justin Adams. And Justin Adams is, uh, he's, a, he's one of the main training partners for uh, Kevin Holiday. So I fought, fought him and I ended up finishing him in the, uh, in a, in the third round. That, that, that was probably one of the best fights I ever had. That was a war between me and him. It was just, we just gutted out and, we, and I got him. So, yeah, man. But that's, that, he got me into it because it was one of the things to – to keep me out of trouble, because I was always getting into when I was younger. I mean, just just one of the typical kids is just always, you know, with the attitude and everything else. And I didn't, I didn't, I was coming in and out of jail, making the wrong decisions and everything else. So now that he, my now all my focus is into fighting and everything. And like I, I grew my family around fighting. My everything that bothers around fighting has to do with everything. My family, me just getting better. Uh, my mental aspect, my attitude has changed. I changed to a totally different person minded. So my, my my brother brought me into it for a while, and we and we stuck with it. So, yeah, man. That, that that's a great story. Now I do have a, a one question here as a follow up to the family, and then I got one about your fighting style too, because you you know you're 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 twin brothers, and you're you're both in the in fighting and the fight game. How do your parents mm-hmm. feel about it? Do your parents like the fight game? Because obviously, like you said, there's <laughs> lots of positives there, but I don't know if I, I I would be super pumped if both of my kids decided to punch people in the head for a living. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, my 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 mom is uh, she's whatever do do it do do as you please you know it was one of those things. Um, but my my dad it, he I mean he he was growing up in the uh, he was in the Marines for 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 like years six seven years and he was always doing combat combat sports in uh, in in the Marines so. 
he's not surprised. He's like, I'm not surprised you're fighting right now. So he, he doesn't mind it. It's not one of the things – it's, it's one of the things that he's like, I'd rather you do something else, but if you enjoy it, I'm not going to stop you from doing it. So it's just, it's just one of those things, man. It's crazy, but that, that's how it is. <laughs> nice. And now I know you mentioned, too, that you had a little bit of a striking background. You came into the gym with your brother to learn jujitsu. But looking at your record, man, and looking at some of your past fights, your jiu-jitsu is some of the best part of your game, right? Like, you got a heel hook victory, or a knee bar victory, you got triangle chokes, rear naked chokes. You know, like, you're a sub guy to a lot of people. How did that change happen? I, man, to tell you the truth, I have no idea. I, I just, <laughs> I, I fell in love with, I fell in love with jiu-jitsu, and then I fell in love with wrestling. And it was just one of those things I just kept, I kept very, very consistent with it. And I don't, don't get in mind, I, I still stay working just as hard on my striking as I, as I do my wrestling and my, and my jits. But it was just one of those things like, I don't know, it was just something about the grind and, and just the, just the pound of the, you know, just, just the grappling part of everything about it. It, it. I don't know, it's just, it's just amazing. I, I just want to learn more and more and more and more about it. So, you know, and I mean, everything's so, such, it changes a lot. You know, jiu-jitsu, it changes a lot. Like, one month is this thing, and the next, you know, it's the next month, and it's something else with the next month and everything. So it's, it's crazy to me, man. So it's, it's crazy. I don't know what happened in the change. It's just something happened, and I, I just, I just, okay, this is, this is, this is, this is what we're going to do. This is what I love to do, so. <laughs> I, I like it. Now, I, I got to ask you, now, I usually like to get a prediction on my fighters, but I, I won't go too, too in-depth and, and make you predict it if you, you're not comfortable with it. But I am interested as, do you think you have an advantage here on the ground against Barbarina, a guy who does have, you know, a lot of submission victories, including some some pretty flashy ones? Uh, yeah, uh, we'll see, we'll see, because it, it, there's everybody's different, you know, especially when you come into the when you come to the fight game. I, I have my grappling was a lot better than one. Uh, so I fought I fought against this guy named uh, Santos uh, Rolos, whatever his name is. I fought it. I fought against him a, year, a few years back, and for the uh, at the uh, Fury card, my jiu-jitsu is twenty times better than his. He, I don't think he ever does jit, and he ended up he ended up rear naked choking me because it's just a, a, a. I just made a simple mistake, you know, and he and he caught advantage of it. So I'm not a, a firm believer of of who who's grappling is better than who's. It's just who, who whoever's going to be the grappling at that day, or the better striker or the better wrestler at that time at that minute. So, you know, you can you can be the best for. 10, you know, for, for the whole uh, freaking fight camp, and then that you know, you're going against this guy, and this guy's smoking you, you know, so it's that's 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 what I'm a believer of. So, I, I like that too. And do you got a prediction for us? How do you see this one ending in, in your mind? Uh, I man, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, my, my plan is to finish this guy, and if not, I'm just we go, we're gonna, we're gonna grind it out all the way. So, well, we're looking forward to it, no matter what way that one goes. And that's Anthony Ivey, who fights Brian Barberena at UFC Vegas 10. Watterson versus Hill. Anthony, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, guys, and that interview with Anthony Ivey is brought to you by Fight Forecaster. You can check them out on Twitter, at ForecasterFight. And this app is, is really changing the way that people do MMA pick'ems, because the cool thing about it is they're not just asking you to pick who you think is going to win or you know what you think they're going to win by, but it's asking you to assign numerical values to how likely you think that is. It allows you some leeway so that you can really show that you know the nuances of the fight game. So I highly suggest checking them out on wherever you download apps. That's Fight Forecaster. And joining me now is Dennis Sweetbread Paiva, who fights Kyle Driscoll on Week 7 of Dana White's Contender Series on September 15th. So... Dennis, I was looking at your record. This July is actually was the 10-year anniversary of your first ever MMA bout, all the way back at Cage Titans 1. T take us through the emotions of getting this kind of news that you're going to be fighting on the Contender Series a decade after this journey started. Wow, you make me sound so old, man. <laughs> um, it's been, dude, it's uh, definitely been a long road. Um, been in the game for quite some time. A lot of ups and downs, um, a lot of good times, a few bad times. But, uh, I mean, to, to be at this level um, or getting this kind of opportunity after everything I've been through uh, through my career and just throughout life, man, it's it's really a blessing. Um, but it, it comes with all the work I've put in. And um, it, it's been a long learning process, growth and development, just growing as a, as a from a 22-year-old child, man-child, if you will, to a 
32 year old man. I'm just uh, really thankful for this opportunity. Uh, but I also know it. I, I got it with uh, with hard work. So. And, and just out of curiosity, how, how did you find out this news? Was it your, your manager who came to you with the news? What, what was sort of your reaction right away? Yeah, well, I, uh, I'd, be, I'd be lying if I said I didn't shed a few tears. Uh, but yeah, my, my manager, uh, my manager just kind of, you know, reached out uh, about a week, week and a half ago, just kind of told me some stuff was kind of going a little haywire in Vegas and to stay ready. And even prior to that, um, around the uh, the Calvin Cater, Dan Ige uh, fight, I reached out to thank him and, and just congratulate him on another win and just let him know that I was uh, doing everything I could to stay active in the gym. So, you know, to, to keep a, to keep me in the loop and if anything came up, you know, I was, uh, I'd be by the phone and ready to go, you know? Um, so he kind of kept throwing my name in the hat and eventually, uh, eventually Sean Shelby bit down on it and gave me this opportunity to compete in the 15th. And it's, it's certainly an exciting one too. Now I know you said that you had some like rough patches on the way up, both in life and in your fighting career. You know, it's worth noting that, you know, while you have, you know, a record that maybe isn't the, the shiniest, right? It's, it's 13 and seven. You, you did start your career at only three and five. At any point in time in that portion when you were three and five or maybe even a little bit after that, did you ever really have any doubts or, or were you always confident that you would get to where you are right now? No, it's, uh, it's actually the opposite, man. Um, when I got into to, to MMA and I got into the sport, I really just was kind of just doing it as like a hobby thing. And um, I just loved it. You know, I, I, I did actually like competing. I just wasn't really surrounding myself with, with the best people I could at the time that would get me to where I needed to be. I, I think I always kind of had the talent and, and the ability. It just wasn't really structured um, with, with training. You know, I, I, I trained individually out of a garage for the first half of my career. And, and obviously my, my record kind of reflected it. Um, but I've never been knocked out. I've been TKO'd. I've never really, never really even had my ass kicked. Uh, even between my losses, uh, between getting submitted and losing on some scorecards and one fight getting disqualified where I was beating the brakes off that kid and accidentally threw an illegal knee. Um, but yeah, at three to five, I was ready to hang up the gloves and just kind of do away with it. And, uh, Mike Gresh, aka local Lobo, I had just started working with him at that time and, and he kind of got into my ear and, and told me, you know, that I had all these different attributes and assets that could really get me to the next level. I just needed to put things together. And, and he was that guy that, that did that. So when we went back to the drawing board and kind of started from scratch all over again, and I started surrounding myself with the professional team and doing the right thing, um, winning started coming. And, and, and it came in, in a pretty dominant fashion. I, I went on a four-fight win streak from there, finishing all my opponents in the first round. Um, and then I ran into uh, Cody Norby, uh, took a submission loss where I really just mentally blew a gasket in the flight, just kind of didn't listen to my corner. I saw red and took a loss. And then from there, went another four-fight win streak and took a loss. And here I am on another two-fight win streak. So, And actually, it's worth noting, too, that that second four-fight win streak that you mentioned includes a UFC veteran. Jordan Espinoza is about to fight for the fifth time in a, in a UFC cage coming up very soon, I believe the week after your Contender Series fight. Was it ever hard watching, knowing that you like beat not just him, but the, you know you fought Andre Ewald, you, know, you, you fought Rico DeSulio. Like, you fought these guys who've been on the Contender Series and been in the UFC. Has it ever been tough watching all of that? Dude, it, it's not tough. I mean, Jordan, dude, he's what an awesome dude. I, I've been a fan of that kid since we fought. I've been ruining him on all along. Um, same thing with Andre Yule. Me and Rico train together. It's just kind of the way the world works. And, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's not my time. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that God puts things into people's lives at, at the right time. And it just maybe wasn't my time. And, and I've done all the right things throughout my years to get to where I'm at now. I've worked really, really hard. Um, and really grinded and just kind of reinvented myself as a fighter. So I think maybe maybe that's what needed to happen. Um, do I look back and wish that maybe I shouldn't have gone professional, you know, as early as as soon as I did? I mean, I fought as an amateur for not very long before I went pro. Um, and obviously some of the losses I had early on reflected from it. And I fought guys that came into a fight 12-pound heavy. I fought at 155. I fought on short notice and did some foolish things, got disqualified. So it's, you know, some of those losses I had to learn from. And unfortunately I learned the hard way um, and I couldn't take it away. So as, as I'm watching all these guys come up and go and get their opportunities, I, I knew 
that if I just kept doing the right thing and getting the wins, that it was, it was only a matter of time before. But I, to be honest, I never kind of thought it was actually going to come. It's it's weird. It's a, kind of like a double-sided coin, you know? So, so you said you you never d- thought it would come. You know, and at three and five, you almost hung it up. You got encouraged to, to stay back into it. What was your goal in the long run then if you didn't think it was ever going to come? What, what kept you, you know, throwing punches at CES MMA or throwing punches for Cage Titans or what, what kept you throwing? I just, I just love the sport, man. I, I loved what it did for me. It kind of gave me a reason to get up and, and, and do something important myself, something different from, from the average human being. You know, I was a, when I was a little kid, man, all I wanted to do was be a superhero. And uh, this is probably the closest thing you can get to it nowadays. So I just kept grinding, man. And uh, I, the thing is, is, is fighting has, has done so much for me outside of the cage. Um, I've met my wife through fighting. I, I have met some of the greatest people, the greatest influences of my life because of fighting. And it's just been a passion project. And that's why I do it. I do it because I just love the sport. I love, I love fighting in its own. I love the training. I love the people that are involved with it. Um, I love that it forces you to become a better version of yourself. And, and at least it's, it's been that way for me, you know, uh, it's helped me mature as a person as an, and as a man. And, and that's why I continue to do it as long as I have, because I just, I just love doing it. Win, lose or draw. Well, I like hearing that. And, and now I, I do got to ask in there too, cause you mentioned you met your wife through MMA. I'm going to have to ask, how, how did that happen? How did you meet up your wife through, through the sport? So when I first got uh, when I first got on board with CES, uh, they were having like these promotional like pep rallies and whatnot. And Todd Chattel was kind of like the poster child for CES that time, and he was on you know up on on, on a good tear. And there was a uh, a rally for one of his upcoming fights. And every time I went to one of the promotional you know pep rallies or whatever that they had, Todd was always the guy that was there, and he was kind of like my big brother in the game, and it was somebody I looked up to. Um, so I kind of always hung around with Todd when I'd go to these venues. I didn't really know anybody. I just kind of you know, kind of stuck my way in, and uh, he looked at me. So Todd was dating a girl at the time that was friends with my wife, um, and we went to a, a promotional rally at a nightclub. There was like, I don't know, man, nine people that showed up at, at that time, so there was, there was nobody there. Uh, I was coming off a, a bad breakup, and, and I was talking to uh, his girlfriend at the time, and, and just kind of telling her what my story was about. She would see me around and, and she told me she had this friend that she wanted to introduce me to. And, um, she didn't, she said she was coming in that night to the club. I just didn't know who didn't, didn't know what time. And, uh, you know, in comes this, this girl. And, and instantly I, I looked over to it as cliche as and corny as it sounds, man, a piece of me fell in love with her right there. And that ended up being the friend that she was talking about. So, we kind of hit it off. This was, this happened uh, in 2012, January 2012, late. It was like 27th, 26th, something like that. And, um, you know, we, we, we hit it off that night. We, we talked uh, for a few weeks. Um, we had saw each other a few times between that time. Uh, I showed up to a job Valentine's Day. So you're talking again over the, the span of two and a half, three weeks since we met. And I showed up to a job and uh, I covered a car with all kinds of flowers and <laughs> corny valentine's day stuff <laughs> i called her up and i was like i just drove by a job and a giant tree branch fell through your windshield <laughs> oh God. and she jumped up and, and she ran outside and she called me up and and you know she was always taken back and and i told her i said you know this is probably not going to sound like the most appeasing thing but you you pretty much stuck with me and i'm i'm gonna like a bad std that's never gonna go away <laughs> and, and this is word for word man i've told this story a bunch of times so um, that was Valentine's Day, and uh, I, I told her she kind of took ownership of me like a stray dog, and um, I took a fight on for that that April. Um, so within you know a, a few weeks from there, I, I took on a fight camp, and she was there to watch my training, and she supported me. And I fought a kid, uh, Sergio Moran Cabrera, and uh, it was supposed to be a catch weight at 140. Uh, he showed up at like 154, and I was at like 147, and. We took the fight and I, I lost the decision. I uh, went on three round, you know, pretty entertaining fight. It was, it was a war. Uh, I thought I did enough to get the nod. Even to this day, I look back at that fight and I, and I thought I did enough, man. He threw a bunch of leg kicks and I lost and it was in front of a big crowd and she didn't leave me. She didn't break up with me. And that was, um, that's kind of what I knew. Like, you know, this, this is going to be for the long haul. So that May 1st, 
few weeks later, we moved in together and we've been inseparable since. Oh, wow. That's, that's an awesome story. And I, I really appreciate you sharing it, especially because it's so personal. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about this fight on, on Contender Series, though. Uh, so you're, you're fighting Kyle Driscoll. If you've seen Kyle Driscoll fight, he, he's a wrestler type. And, and it's not always the most exciting style to watch and, and to face. Do you worry at all about having that kind of fight on the Contender Series where you have to be overwhelmingly impressive looking? No, no. I mean, dude, it, every fight, you know, changes from opponent to opponent. And I think the kind of style of fight that I bring, that that kind of Chuck Liddell anti-wrestling, you know, Robbie Lawler kind of style is is going to force the fight to our feet. Um, I think I do a pretty good job at defending the takedowns and, and keeping the fight in the feet. And I, I think I showed that pretty well in my last fight with, uh, with Tim Dooling, who's, uh, just about an inch shorter, you know, jujitsu based kind of fighter and was definitely not afraid to bang. Um, and every time he shot in and went in for a takedown, I was able to defend. I think Kyle is definitely a great wrestler. Um, he does a really good job at pressing guys at the cage and shooting in for those single legs and, and, and locking things up with the figure four and that, that Dagestani kind of style, if you will. Um, but it, at the end of the day, when we're both putting it on the line for a UFC contract and, and he knows just as well as I know that we're, we're both going to look for the finish in order, if, you know, Dana White's not throwing a whole lot of contracts for decisions. You know, he wants to see exciting finishes. So we both have to bring, put on an exciting performance. And I think that's what you're going to get out of both of us. Um, at least for me, I know on my end, you know, I, I hope he's not anticipating taking me down and trying to ride me down for 15 minutes and expecting to get a contract out of that. Well, I'm hoping not that too, but I was wondering as we get this interview to a close here, if you could wager a prediction. Do you have a way that you see this going down when it all happens September 15th? Man, I everybody everybody wants to go on there and, and claim they're going to knock somebody out. Um, 13 mm-hmm. and 7, and I think I have enough knockouts to show for it. You know, I got seven of my of my 13 wins come by way of knockout. So, I, I you know, I want to knock mm-hmm. this kid out. That's just what I do. I, I am always fighting to finish. I'm always looking for that knockout. And, and that's just how I, I plan on, uh, I'm planning on getting the win. And if not, it, it's going to be a lot of shots eaten um, by Kyle. I mean, it's just the reality of it. Uh, you know, if, if he plans to sit there and just try to crotch sniff me to a decision, <laughs> it's not going to be a, a, an easy task for him. Um, and it's not going to be entertaining by any means for him. Um, and it's not going to go really well for him. So, you know, all respect to him. I, I think he's a, he's a great athlete. He brings a he, he brings a hard he's a hard nut to crack. I mean, if you can't take somebody down and he, you know you're you're not prepared on your feet, it, it's a hard night. Um, but yeah, that's what I expect, man. I'm not one to go there and, and and bang on my chest and call everybody out. I'm gonna knock out the world, but that's that's always what I'm looking for, regardless. All right, folks. Well, you heard it here first. This is Dennis Sweet Red Piva, who fights on Dana White Contender Series Week Seven. That's on September 15th. Dennis, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, man, thank you for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, God bless. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Dennis Paiva. I'm joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I'm just going to throw this one out here, and I want you to react to it. After watching Overeem this past weekend, what do you think of Overeem versus John Jones for Jones' heavyweight debut. Wow. Uh, that actually catches me a little bit by surprise, Gumby. That is a fun matchup to think about. I don't necessarily think it's any more fun than some of the other uh, matchups of top heavyweights against John Jones. Uh, I also wonder, I think they were training partners. They're still not at Jackson Wink. I don't know if there's a beef there or if they don't really care and they're just businessmen and would fight. Yeah, it's a good matchup. But I guess my official position is I still would be higher on seeing Jones versus Stipe or Jones versus Naganu, but that's just me. What about you? Yeah, I am too. And, and you know, to answer your first question, Overeem is at Elevation now, which is up in Colorado, so he's not still at Jackson Wink. And and you know, like I think that you're right. Those other two matchups are more captivating. But if they're going to make that Naganu Stipe matchup, and it ain't going to happen until January or February or something like that. Like, Jones is going to have to get acclimated to the heavyweight division, and and maybe what that means is he takes a warm-up fight. Now, he could take a warm-up fight against somebody, you know, way down the rung. You know, he could face, you know, Shamil Abdurakahimov, but that's not a needle mover. This is a great chance to test 
a couple of things. Number one, how does he do against a real big heavyweight, right? Like or, uh, Overeem is a full 265 kind of heavyweight. And in addition to that, Overeem has recently showed he, he's got good wrestling. And not recently showed, he's showed that his whole career. But he's got good wrestling and good grounded pounds. So it gives Jones more than one dynamic to think about. Big heavy puncher. Guy who knows all the way around the cage with grounded pounds. Some submission skills. I mean, he he arguably got Steve Bay to tap anyway. So like, you you got a guy here who is has a legend status. It would be a good sell. And it'd be a good warm-up match for Jones. I I, I love the idea. Well, I'll tell you what idea I love, and that's us getting to our favorite segment on the show, Fight Dogs and Parlays for UFC Vegas. It's a 10 for Gumby. Before we get into that, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this episode of Fight Dogs and Parlays. Absolutely. This episode of Fight Dogs and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag for the best online gambling experience you could possibly find. Make sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE and get a 100% deposit bonus. And in addition to that, you're going to get a company that does phenomenal things with their mobile version. You, you can make live bets and not have to worry about that screen not loading properly. They've got the best situation. Check out MyBookie.ag. So this, of course, was supposed to be Glover Teixeira versus Tiago Santos coming off his loss to John Jones and blowing out his knee, that being Santos. And I think everyone was very excited for that fight. It would ha- create an instant title contender right back in the mix, especially with Jones leaving. But Glover Teixeira popped for the COVID. Uh, he's going to be just fine. And they will remake this match uh, a month from now. So that's the good news. The bad news for some people is the new main event is Angela Hill versus Michelle Waterson. And listen, is it of the caliber of Glover and Tiago Santos? No, it is not. Let's be completely honest. But I do have to say I am a huge fan of both these fighters. I like the fight itself. Is it main event worthy? No, but in the UFC 2020 era, when some sports are struggling to even put on their sports and we get fights every week, to me, it's not the biggest deal. I'll still happily watch it. Is it main event worthy, though? No, but I've said enough about that already. Angela Hill's a minus 145 favorite. Michelle Waterson, a plus 125 dog. And I do think it is worth noting, before we get your breakdown, Gumby, Angela Hill, uh, after going on Tough, when that was still a reality show and a way to create, you know, somewhat instant, title challengers maybe, or at least fill out the depths of certain divisions. Angela Hill got bounced from the UFC. She ended up back in Invicta. And at that same time, Karate Hottie was, uh, you know, also had her stops in Invicta. But when she came to the UFC, she had the push, as we say in the professional wrestling world. The marketing machine was behind her. She had the fun nickname. And I think people really thought of her as a title challenger, a future title challenger at the time. And here we are. Angela Hill, back in the UFC, a rags to riches to rags back to riches story, and she's the favorite against Michelle Waterston, and I think that needs to be noted who you got. I hear what you're saying about Angela Hill, and it's a great story, right? She's 3-1 and one in her last four with only a split decision loss to Claudia Cadelia, but uh, and a lot of people think she won that fight against Claudia Cadelia, but if you look at the people who she's beating it's really not a who's who list, right? She beat Ariane Carnalosi, who's no longer with the UFC. She beat Hannah Cyphers as part of Hannah Cyphers' four-fight losing streak that she's currently on. She beat Loma Luka Bume, which I like Loma Luka Bume quite a bit, but she's also, she is not even big enough to be a strawweight. She's an atomweight. They need to add an atomweight division for her. So, like, the three people she beat, I'm not terribly impressed with any of them. You know, I think she looked all right against Claudia Gedalia, but my worry here is that she's not going to outstrike Michelle Watterson. You know, she's going to have to turn this into a grinding match and a match where she takes Michelle Watterson down. And if you look at the type of people who have tried to use that grinding style on Michelle Watterson, you know, Courtney Casey tried to use that, and Felice Herrig tried to use that, and to an extent, Carolina Kowalkiewicz tried to use that. None of that worked against Michelle Watterson. The only person who really did it and made it work was Carla Esparza, and that was a split decision. So, like, you know, if if Angela Hill's path to victory here is to kind of grind, you know, Michelle Watterson and, and take her into deep waters, 
I don't think that that's a good plan for a five-round fight against somebody with superior striking. And, you know, like it's not like Watterson's going to tire, right? Like, Watterson has had those, like, really long fights before. You know, she was a champion in, in like, you, you mentioned her, her being a champion in Invicta. She was a champion in Invicta. She went four rounds with Jessica Penne in a very exciting fight back then. So, like, she, she's had those long fights. She, I mean, she had a long fight with Ioana Yo- Jacek she went five rounds with. So... I like Michelle Watterson, especially now that this is a five-round uh, fight. And, and at plus money, I mean, like, I, I would definitely be interested in playing that. Tom Worthy is a minus-130 favorite, taken on Otman Azatar, uh, who actually, I need to get the intern on this. I don't see his odds, but I know when I looked the other day, he was maybe a plus two dog I, I'm gonna have the interim look that up but who are you taking here so yeah I'm looking right now he's actually like plus 110 right about now so it, it's pretty freaking close and, and I like comma worthy here I've always been a big fan of comma worthy I think his hands are explosive the difference to me here is that into this fight with Atman Aziatar we've got comma worthy who's shown that he has really good submission skills too in a way to mix this game up whereas Aziatar I see him kind of as a flashy kickboxer and that's pretty much all he's gonna do I do think this fight is razor close, which is why the odds are, are where they're at. And as a result, you know, like I like Kama Worthy, probably wouldn't lay money there, but that's going to be my official pick for this one. Andrea KGB Lee is a minus 310 favorite. Three to one, people. Taking on uh, our pal and everyone's favorite fighter, really, if you are a human being with a pulse, Roxanne Matafari. But she's plus 255 here. Uh, you know, I think at this point, Roxanne would have to really reel off three to four highlight real worthy victories. I don't know if that's in the cards. She's, she's more or less moved to gatekeeper status. Not that she ever got past that to begin with. But what do you make of this fight as far as I know you're going to take KGB Lee unless you're going to shock me right now. What would a path to victory be for Roxanne Matafari? You're 100% right. I am going to take KGB Lee. And, and sort of my reasoning here is that you just look at the fact that both of them just lost to Lauren Murphy. And look at the ways they lost to Lauren Murphy, right? Andrea Lee, absolute grinding match where she outstruck Lauren Murphy to an extent. Had a little bit of trouble with the physicality of Lauren Murphy. And ultimately lost a split decision. Then look at the way Roxanne Matafari lost her, where she was absolutely manhandled in the grappling department by Lauren Murphy. She couldn't stop her takedowns. She was getting thrown everywhere. Her jiu-jitsu wasn't good enough to get uh, Lauren Murphy off of her. As a result, you know, like I can't imagine a situation here where Roxanne Matafari outgrapples Andrea Lee, right? Like, but that's her only path to victory, in my opinion. She's not going to outstrike Andrea Lee. She's not under any kind of assumption that she's going to outstrike Andrea Lee. She knows she needs to do exactly what she did against the younger Shevchenko. She needs to take her down. She needs to beat her up with some punches. And I just don't see, if she wasn't able to handle Murphy that way, and, and Andrea Lee went, you know, you know, traded with or, uh, Lauren Murphy in the grappling department. I just don't see that being a real path to victory. My real instinct here is Andrea Lee pieces her up on the feet nonstop for 15 minutes, and we see kind of an ugly decision here. Uh, our underdog of the week, Justine Kish, a plus 240, taking her over Sabina Mazo. Why is she our her, her, her? Underdog of the week, Justine Kish. So the reason I like Justine Kish here is because Sabina Mazo has had trouble with strikers in the past. If you look at her UFC record so far, she kicked off against Marina Mraz and had difficulty with the speed and volume of Marina Mraz. Her most recent win comes over J.J. Aldrich, a split decision that most, if you look at MMADecisions.com, which I highly suggest using, most media members scored it for Aldrich. So like she has fought a couple of good strikers there back-to-back, and had difficulties with it. Now, the only striker she was able to beat was uh, Shanna Dobson, and it was largely by outgrappling her. So I think the odds get skewed a lot because Mazo had those crazy head kick knockouts back when she was in LFA, and people just assume she's this like amazing knockout person. She still only has two knockout victories in her whole career. It was those two back-to-back that got her a UFC contract. 
So I just see here a situation where she's fighting Kish, who is a fast, clean striker with a striking background. And I just think Kish is probably going to outpoint her on the feet here. And at plus 240, it is definitely worth a shot in the dark. Uh, our parlay to play, Billy Quarantillo, minus 210, a favorite. And Frank Camacho, minus 220, another favorite. Pair them together, though, and you're going to get plus 115 odds. Break her down. So let's start with Frank Camacho because I love Frank Camacho. First of all, he's fighting, uh, you know, he's fighting Brock Weaver. I like Brock Weaver as a person. I like Brock Weaver, uh, you know, when we interviewed him that time. But, like, at the same time, Brock Weaver has looked pretty bad in the UFC. You know, like, if you look at what Brock Weaver's looked like, his striking does not quite look UFC ready. Maybe it's because he's not getting it to the ground where he might be a little bit better. It just doesn't look like it's holding up. And he's fighting a guy who throws absolute haymakers in Frank Camacho. And I think we would all be higher on Frank Camacho, too, had he not gotten knocked out on a short-notice replacement against Justin James, which was tricky because he completely changed the style he was fighting at the last second. So I think Frank Camacho, definitely a play here at negative 200. And if you pair him with Billy Quarantillo, which, like, look, if you've seen Quarantillo in his two UFC fights and his uh, one fight in the Contender Series, He's the complete package. He uh, outstriked Spike Carlisle. He absolutely manhandled Jacob Kilburn on the Contender Series. He blasted Camuela Kirk, who we've learned is, you know, he's no joke either. So, like, he has absolutely manhandled three different people and almost in different ways every single time. This guy is the complete package and actually somebody you should probably look out for. Um, and, And, you know, I like Kyle Nelson too. Kyle Nelson has had a couple of good fights here and there, but... We're looking at a guy who's heading up the rankings, and we will see probably towards the t- near the top 15 in the near future. So you got two guys like that. You pair them together. You get plus money. Uh, it's a no-brainer. Boom. Maybe a bit of an underwhelming card this week, but never underwhelming for us. We hope you're enjoying what we're doing. We do get positive feedback on our Twitter uh, about some of this gambling advice that we're giving out. Listen, we're not perfect. Nobody is but we get it right more than we get it wrong and we enjoy doing it and we hope you enjoy listening to it. Hey, we're just a couple MMA nerds who do this for the love of the game, but it would really help if you're a fan of the show, go leave us an iTunes review. Gosh darn, do we appreciate it? And uh, you never know, maybe we'll have something special. if Someone leaves a particularly good one. Gumby, that wraps it up for what I want to say. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Why don't you break down what you got to break down and clean this show up to take it home. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Wouldn't have a show without you guys. We also want to thank Flow Combat, Maroon Social, MyBookie, visit MyBookie.ag, and the Fight Forecaster app. Make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we'll catch you then.